0: Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here around the nation from Atlanta, Georgia, the phone number. If you would like to be on the program, 877-973-7425. I will allow you. got to get past the call screener though. And he can be, well, well, he can be difficult, but that's why we have him. Now I want to talk about Disney because they're still in this fight over Florida I saw this article in the wall street journal over the weekend, uh, from Robbie Willen and, and Arian area Campo Flores. And I want to spend just a couple of moments on part of this because I, I find it very interesting and in Disney, as of right now, when I'm talking, their, their shares are down by 2.5%. They've continued a, a decline, um, which is to me also notable. When Walt Disney Company chief executive Bob Chapek explained his decision to stay silent on Florida's parental rights and education bill, known by its opponents as the Don't Say Gay legislation, it's actually the parental rights and education bill. He told employees in a March letter that he didn't want Disney to become a political football. More than a month later, that's exactly what Disney has become, nowhere more than in the Sunshine State. Some Republican lawmakers in Florida are threatening to end a special tax district that has allowed the company to effectively govern the land on which Walt Disney World sits for decades. Members of Congress have called for Disney to be stripped of its original Mickey Mouse copyright. Politicians are campaigning for re-election on promises to stand up to Disney and other woke corporations that they say are promoting messages and taking stands that put them out of step with the values of Florida parents and voters. Fans and park workers protested outside the company's headquarters earlier this month, and others have used social media to call for boycotts against Disney's parks and its flagship streaming service, Disney+. Mr. Chapic and Disney stayed silent on the bill until after it passed the Senate then worked to assure angry employees who criticized the company for not taking a stand. Now, let me scroll down a little bit so that you understand uh, what the situation is more specifically here. First in Congress, my friend Jim Banks from Indiana uh, says he's going to oppose extending the Mickey Mouse copyright. It's set to expire at the end of 2023. The Republicans we'll have back Congress. They may allow it to expire. But there's this, you got to understand the Reedy Creek District. This is the most important part of it all. A small group of Florida Republicans have resurrected the idea of repealing the Reedy Creek Improvement District. It's a 38 square mile plot of land near Orlando that includes Walt Disney World. It was created in 1967 by the state of Florida at the request of Walt Disney himself. The district, believed to be one of the largest independent tax districts in the country, is exempt from many state and local environmental rules, building codes, and taxes, allowing Walt Disney World to have more control over its development projects. The district has its own board of supervisors and fire department. It's unclear exactly how much of the benefits Disney gets from Reedy Creek, but the district collects collected $140 million in taxes last year from Disney. According to public filings, Disney saves tens of millions of dollars a year by avoiding paying certain county and state taxes and fees. And also, they get to oversee their construction, their environmental regulations, and the like. I think the Reedy Creek District is actually a model for parts of the nation in large part because it shows just how much state bureaucracy can interfere with creativity. Uh, Disney probably could not pull off a lot of what it has otherwise done. But the problem is Disney has now grown to a point where it thinks it can use its cloud in the state to bully the state. Then there is this piece by Derek Robertson in Politico Magazine. The headline is Disney didn't leave the GOP behind, culture did. Once upon a time, Disney bashing was primarily liberal activity. Whether it was the company's perceived stale Cold War era morality, its stranglehold on global pop culture, or its role as one of America's preeminent cult- corporate monoliths, the company was a reliable punching bag for pugilistic left of center activists and cultural critics. Now the tables have turned. The Walt Disney Company finds itself at the center of a controversy stoked by Republicans who, incensed by the company's opposition to a piece of legislation signed into law in Florida, are trying to paint it as an enemy of all things good. But the details of the policy itself are almost beside the point. The attempt by Republicans to demonize one of America's most beloved and trusted corporations seems so chaotic in its face that it invites a simple question, not why would they do this or even why would they think it could be done, but why would it even seem advantageous to try? And one last one. This is from San Francisco Gate. Disney built on fairy tales and fantasies confronts the real world. Lately, real world ugliness has been creeping into the Magic Kingdom in this hyperpartisan moment, both sides of the political divide have been pounding on Disney, endangering one of the world's best-known brands, one that for many symbolizes America itself. In some cases, Disney has willingly waded into the cultural issues. Last summer, to applause from progressives and snarls from the far-right, notice they say far-right, not right, Disney decided to make loudspeaker announcements at the theme park gender-neutral, removing ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in favor of dreamers of all ages. But the entertainment giant has found itself dragged into the fray with the Florida law. Now, there's a reason for us to pursue this issue. The reality in the United States of America is less than 1% of Americans identify as transgender. Less than 1% even as there has been a growth in young people claiming to identify as anything other than straight, heterosexual people, there has not been a massive surge in people who identify as transgender. There has been a surge, and there's a cultural element to that. We have moved from an age of individualism. You got to listen to me here because the word choices are somewhat eerily similar. We have moved from an age of individualism to an age of individuality. In individualism, we as Americans should be able to help ourselves and by helping ourselves in navigating the culture and the decisions we make to benefit ourselves and our family in the free marketplace of ideas and the free market exchange in the economy, Our individual choices for ourselves and our family wind up helping others in the free flow and information of of ideas and, and commerce. So my family's ability to buy certain products causes us not to buy other products which frees those products up for other people who want them. Our exchange of information and ideas helps boost uh, the the creative genius of the country. Our play as individuals and our individual self-reliance gets us off the government purse strings, reduces the social safety net for those who truly need it. This has been the the core part of conservatism has been uh, individualism, our rugged individualism to take care of ourselves and meet our own needs. Along come progressives, and in response to individualism, they give us individuality where we don't shape what's good for ourselves and our individual reliance. Instead, we shape our individual identity and then force others to embrace it. In individualism, everything is an arm's length transaction. In individuality, everything requires government coercion or coercion of the mob. So now I can uh, invent myself, not reinvent myself as a talk show host from having been a lawyer, but reinvent myself as now a, a rabbit, a girl, a robot, however I want to identify in my individuality. And if I can't get you to accept it, well, then you're not allowing me to embrace my individuality because my individuality requires that you embrace it. So while there are only less than 1% of Americans consider themselves transgender, there are a vast array of Americans, now increasingly younger Americans, who their, their premise is they find their identity in what they themselves construct. They don't find their identity in their job. They don't find their identity in their family. They don't find their identity in what they're doing for society. They find their identity in how they construct their own self-image. I mean, it's it's ultimate idol worshiping, is it not? We create ourselves as our idol to be worshiped, and not only that, but others must be burned at the stake as heretics if they do not bow down to our idol of ourself. And Disney is caught in the middle of what is increasingly a religious war between real religion and the fabricated idolatries of current 21st century America. And there's really no good answer for it other than don't play the game. And this is where I think companies have to go. Don't play the game. Yes, I say that in part, it benefits my side, but you really ultimately are talking about less than 1% of Americans don't play the game. Our founders were geniuses. They constructed this thing called federalism. It operated in a horizontal and a vertical way. Vertical federalism is the relationship between the federal government and the states. Horizontal federalism is the states versus the states. Progressives have become bullies under horizontal federalism. There are no conservative states with laws prohibiting state funding of travel and expenses in progressive states, but multiple progressive states have that sort of law. California, for example, prohibits travel by state employees to eight states that have laws banning boys and girls sports or have restrictive abortion laws. California has decided to do that. California is using horizontal federalism and weaponizing it to harm its relationships with other states. It's the bullies on the left. You don't see the right really doing this. Unfortunately, we're going to start seeing a growing movement, I'm afraid, of people on the right who decide we've got to behave just like the left. The only way to really navigate something like this is for Bob Chapik, the CEO of Disney, to say we're done. We're done playing in the culture war. We're not going to do it. But then he's going to have in-house strife. I-, I played y'all some of the audio of these people, the the president of, of what, what is it, D- Disney whatever, who she's got the pansexual child. Real proud mom there. Uh, it, it, it's it's bizarre to me. And she's the leader at Disney. They can't stand of the culture war because of their own hiring decisions. It's only going to get worse. And I, again, not to be a pessimist here, but I have a real hard time seeing a long-term short of some external force that forces us to pull together, whether it's Russia or China. I don't see how we long can coexist in a world where you have progressive states refusing to even do business with conservative states. You have progressives who routinely want to boycott conservative operations unless they give them their way. Progressives who want to silence people on the Internet who dead name someone, call them what their real name is instead of their their self-identified name. Or or if you call a man a man, Twitter shuts you down. You you can't coexist as a society when one half of society is unwilling to entertain the other half's ideas. And I don't know that Disney can coexist. I, I would not be surprised. If we can't find our way through this very soon to see Disney lose the copyright on Mickey Mouse, and they will have deserved it because Disney decided to pick a side as opposed to trying to navigate picking no side. And the easiest way to pick no side is to say, we respect all sides and do business with everyone. And this is a matter for the people of Florida, not for us. And had they done that, it would have been responsible. It would have been mature, but they would have had a lot of employees quit who have fallen into the cult of individuality as opposed to individualism, and who can't work for any company that does not bow to their individuality as they identify it. And when you have 330 million Americans and the opportunity for each individual American to identify in some way that clashes with another, y- you go to crazy town. And crazy town can't survive in a world where China and Russia would love to undermine us all. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Hispanic voters are deserting Biden in a major warning sign for Democrats. This is from Just the News, Aaron Klingman. President Biden's approval rating among Hispanics has plummeted. As the historically Democratic bloc support for Republicans continues to increase, presenting an electoral problem for Democrats whose immigration policies have fueled much of this shift. You got to pay attention to that last bit. Immigration policies have fueled much of the shift of Hispanic voters to the right. Only 26% of Hispanic voters approve of Biden's job performance compared to 54% who disapprove. Perhaps most striking, the poll found a staggering 41 percent of Hispanic voters strongly disapprove of Biden's handling of the presidency, while just 12 percent strongly approve. Hispanics represent the country's second largest voting bloc by ethnicity. A downward trend in Hispanic support for Biden has been ongoing for months. Biden comfortably won the Hispanic vote in 2020 with 59%, according to Pew. Since then, Hispanic support for the president has plummeted, reaching the 30s last year and now the 20s. Even polling finding a higher approval rating for Biden among Hispanics today still shows a 20-plus point drop over the past year. They're not just disapproving of Biden, though. They're moving away from Democrats in general. The National Republican Congressional Committee's Battleground Survey project found Republicans have made substantial gains among Hispanics since the 2020 election, narrowing the gap by 20 points. That's doom for the Democrats here, y'all. That's doom. Uh, White voters in this country are increasingly aligned against the Democrats except for white college-educated women. And even they have shifted pretty dramatically to the right. Uh, I think it was the Pew survey showed them shifting from 20 points pro-Democrat to just four points pro-Democrat. That's a big shift. Now, there's nothing permanent in politics. Republicans shouldn't get super excited in large part because uh, this will make a swing back to the Democrats at some point. But in the here and now, it's really bad for the Democrats, and there are all sorts of warning signs with Hispanic voters that their shift may be permanent in large part because of cultural issues. The, the wokes of the, the rich white people who say things like Latinx are alienating Hispanic voters – in ways that very few other things have, in large part because they came from socialist countries where governments played mind games with them and tried to control their speech. They came here for a better place, and now they see all this nonsense here as well. It's a problem. Hello there. It's Eric Erickson here. Uh, you know, one of the things that I often do on this program is actually talk about uh, a lot of the news that is It's not necessarily the raw meat partisan uh, red meat, uh, throw it at the Democrats. Uh, it's the news that actually matters to you, uh, the news you should probably be paying attention to, that oftentimes in the, in the hyper-partisan hysteria of the day, uh, everyone ignores, but uh, there are some big stories out there. And, and by red meat, I know, it's. It, listen, uh, it's very easy to throw punches at the Democrats right now and rally the crowd and have a cheer session as, as we uh, body slam rhetorically the Democrats and the like, but there's actually a lot of other big news out there you should be paying attention to. One of the stories is when I have paid a a good bit of attention to over time, and we really need to talk about this because this impacts you. I say all of the time, and a lot of people actually send me hate mail for saying it, but I stand by it. Washington as a whole is far less likely to uh, disrupt your life on a daily basis than your local government. When scripture says, seek the welfare of the city in which you live, I I tell you, you should pay far more attention to the local machinations of politics in in your area than you do a lot of the stuff that happens in Washington. A lot of that stuff isn't going to happen. It's not going to get passed. Regulations will be resolved. Yes, occasionally, Washington, there are the votes to pass big things that disrupt your lives like Obamacare. But very rarely, think of the major legislation Washington has passed since Joe Biden became president. There isn't any other than the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Biden has certainly regulated. He's done and not done things. Those things can be undone or redone or, or done in better ways by the next president. But your city and your state, they do things that then get hard to undo. And corporations are more and more doing things that disrupt your life far more than Washington, D.C., if anything, We may need a federal regulation on certain issues or federal laws. And I am increasingly, increasingly of the mind that we need a conservative populist uh, combat against BlackRock and other institutions that are beginning to rent. Now, you got to follow along with me here. There's there's yet another story. This went out today from the Wall Street Journal. Let let me listen. uh, Let me read you. Just a little bit of this. Y'all listen to me here. Small groups of neighborhood volunteers are blocking companies from building sim- single family homes, rewriting home ownership rule books to thwart investor purchases of suburban housing. These groups, called homeowner associations, spend much of their time enforcing rules related to such things as lawn care and parking, but they often have broad powers to regulate how homes are used. Some of these associations now believe that the rise in home purchases by rental investors has led to a decline in property maintenance and made their neighborhoods less desirable. Homeowner tactics include placing a cap on the number of homes that can be rented in a particular neighborhood or requiring the rental tenants to be approved by the association board. In most cases, associations need at least a two-thirds majority to pass these measures. This is something we're going to have to deal with. One of the chief ways that Americans obtain the American dream is through home ownership. And Americans will buy a house, they will make their mortgage payment over time, and depending on their refis and and the like, after about 30 years, they own a home. And that home will have typically appreciated in value. And by appreciated in value, Suddenly, these Americans, they have a tangible asset that boosts their net worth. So you buy a house for $100,000. You pay it off over time, but the property values continue to go up. In 30 years, your home is worth $300,000. It is the core of your financial net worth. It is how Americans have gotten the American dream. Go all the way back to Herbert Hoover, not exactly a good president, but Herbert Hoover said "What well, is a, a car in every garage and a chicken in every pot. It was the idea that Americans could be homeowners and in building their homes or buying their homes, they had equity. They had a stake in American society. But increasingly what's happening because uh, homes are scarce right now. We need more homes than we have in this country in large portions of the country. Investment companies like BlackRock are buying up houses. And then once all the houses are bought up by the investment companies, you're forced to rent because you can't find a house. There's no land for you to buy. Uh, to buy to build a home right now is really expensive. So I, I, I mentioned this the other day. I've, I've got since I was a kid, I've had this house in my head. I can't get it out of my head. It was kind of a thinking device we had to learn when I was in school and, and and you had to build a house in your head and then you had to learn, you put certain knowledge. I don't use it by the way, but I just have this I have this house in my head. It's actually an estate. It's it's the house of the guest house, the game house with the bowling alley. I keep adding to it. Got my, my buddy Vince in Atlanta, he's a one of the nicer home builders. He builds really nice houses in Atlanta. I want to get with him. There's an architecture firm I've always wanted to use, and Vince, and I want to build this house one day. That's in my head. Get it out of my head. Get it out there. I don't have the money for it. One day maybe. But what I'm learning and talking to Vince, uh, who builds a lot of nice houses, he started uh, internalizing. Like, if you use him, he has learned how to do a lot of iron building and iron casting himself, which saves money. You don't have to outsource. So it saves the homeowner some money, and he gets responsibility for all of it. Uh, And it's it's just an added edge he has to diversify himself in in a marketplace where it's increasingly expensive to build homes. Lumber and the like, it's, it's expensive. So most people buy houses. They don't build houses. They don't go buy land they just go buy a house. And now in a lot of parts of the country, it's harder and harder to buy a house because you're competing against uh, major hedge funds and corporations that wanna buy the houses and force you to rent. But then there's a downside of that as well. So I live in in one of the most, actually it is the most diverse community uh, south of Atlanta, Georgia. It is uh, it is split uh, fairly evenly between black, white, Hispanic, Indian, uh, Asian. Uh, it it's it's fairly well split. It's a nice neighborhood. My neighbors are great people. Most people kind of stick to themselves. It's fairly planned, although that there are some quirks to the neighborhood and stuff. It's it's a nice neighborhood, and we have houses for sale in large part because our neighborhood. Uh, restricts the ability to rent in the neighborhood. If you buy the house, you got to live in the house. You can't rent it out. This was done because in large part, some people came in and were renting and those renters did not take care of the house like the homeowner. If it's your house, you're going to take care of it. If you're a corporation and you're a corporation that's buying a home And you're buying the home to rent it out, and the corporation is in New York City, and the house is in Atlanta, Georgia. They don't have an investment in making sure the house looks nice. They don't have an investment in making sure the grounds are kept up. They don't have an investment in making sure that the the renter is not obstructive to the neighborhood. You know, I mean, home uh, neighborhoods and stuff, they're not perfect. So my wife and I, for a while, could sit on our front porch at night and smell someone was growing large quantities of marijuana. You could smell it in the breeze. People were smoking. You know, if you if you land in Denver and you get out of the airport, the whole place smells like weed. And it's not people smoking. It's, it's all those big warehouses that uh, say they're furniture stores. They're actually grow houses. You're not allowed to grow marijuana out in the open. So the whole place smells kind of like marijuana. There's something going on in our neighborhood. And at the same time, this is all happening. People's cars were being uh, rifled through at night. If they were unlocked, they weren't being broken into, but if they were unlocked... Uh, someone was going through, rifling through them, and if there were guns in the car, taking the guns. And you, there were, we have security at the front of our neighborhood. Nobody was coming in and out of the neighborhood doing the stuff. It had to be somebody inside. Turns out my neighbor, we've got a, a two vacant lots next to me. They're woods. They can't really be built on because of the the water drainage issue. But the house on the other side of the woods, they were growing marijuana under the house. The mother was using her kids to steal guns out of cars, and the father was a big drug runner up and down the East Coast. Yeah, big neighborhood scandal. We had the police raid the neighborhood. My wife's first thought when she saw the police outside was that I had said something on radio, and the police were coming here for a protection. No, they were going to raid the drug lord next door. <laughs> Neighborhoods aren't perfect. They have problems. But those problems exponentially go up when it's not a homeowner, but a home renter. And more and more nice neighborhoods are being taken over by companies like BlackRock uh, that want people to rent. And unfortunately, in some states, the major corporations have gone to the state legislatures and they prohibited the homeowners from being able to stop this. So in Florida, Arizona, no, 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 I'm I'm sorry, that's the wrong list. In Tennessee, uh, Georgia. And a few other states, let let me get the right list here for you. Yeah, Tennessee, Georgia, and Florida. uh, Corporations have convinced the legislature to prevent homeowners associations from banning investors once they've already bought and rented out a house. So future investment purchases can be blocked, but prior renters can't be stopped. And a lot of uh, homeowner associations are now moving rapidly to restricting uh, renters and properties, and they need to be allowed to. But more importantly, I really do think at some point uh, conservatives and populists together should unite and prevent Wall Street from doing this. It's not free marketplace. You need to understand this. This isn't about the free marketplace. It is investors are now taking out the areas where consumers historically have earned their own equity in the American dream and their own stake in the American dream. And these corporations are seeking to deprive you of your ability to have an ownership interest in the company. They want it first. And I think that is one of the areas where conservatives and populists should step in and probably progressives as well and say, look, you can't do this or you have to be restricted in how you do this. I don't mind it if you, the individual, want to go out and rent a bunch of houses. I've got a number of friends who supplement their income because they're very handy and they rent out a lot of houses. But the idea of the Fortune 500 and Wall Street coming in, and they're now investing in land and homes. They don't keep it up as much. There is a correlation of the degradation in in property values when a bunch of people move in and are renters. They're not owners. They don't have a stake in the neighborhood. Something's got to happen here. And it would behoove state legislatures to get involved in this as well on behalf of individual landowners. You are depriving individual American citizens of becoming stakeholders in America. By in an area and of housing scarcity, allowing the Fortune 500 to come in with cash on hand, swoop in and buy up a bunch of houses, and force these people to rent. So either you need to allow more homes to be built so more people can buy them for cheap, or you need to prevent the corporations from coming in and buying them up. Because if you're a homeowner selling your house, you're moving, who are you going to sell to? The guy who needs you to wait 30 days so he can go get loan approval or the corporation who comes in with 10% more than you're offering for in cash and can close that week, you're going to go with the guy's guy. and I don't blame you. I don't blame you. But for those who want to become homeowners, these corporations are pricing them out of the American dream. And the long-term societal consequences of people not being stakeholders in communities by having ownership in the land and ownership of the house, it's detrimental you don't have to do a bunch of creative thinking to understand why that is. If you don't have a stake in your neighborhood, you're just there renting, passing through. You're not going to take care of it as much as the people who intend to stay there. And corporations are now essentially forcing people to no longer have stakes in their neighborhoods. And that's really bad. Now, uh, on this issue, I want to go to Bob. Welcome to the program, Bob. How are you?
1: Hey, how are you, Eric? I've talked, spoken Good. with you before. Um I've been a, a landlord for 50-plus years, mm-hmm. uh, and it's only single-family homes. And I only sell to a qualified tenant on owner finance. I feel that that gives them an opportunity for moving into the home ownership category. Mm-hmm. Now, I find Congress, government, is mostly a bunch of frickin' hypocrites. Yeah. If they were sincere about this and wanting to help the middle class, they could institute taxes on corporations where it's penalizing them for doing this, but incentives for individuals or homeowners to buy in and better their search or circumstance and structure it according to the qualification of their income mm-hmm. and structure the penalties in a, according to the gains of the, the major company. If they're profitability, they pay a hell of a lot for that. Yeah, yeah. Other, a lot of other techniques and methods as well, but I see it happening and uh, people are going to get priced out and we're going to become a company co- or a country controlled by corporations and mindless Democrats. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you
0: know, uh, Bob, there's a, I, I have this idea, um, and a buddy of mine who he has drifted away from capitalism, I guess we could say, and Bob, thanks for the phone call. Um, we, we share this idea in common. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not really an idea unique to us. I forget the guy who came up with the idea, but but uh, capitalism unmoored for morality is no better than communism or socialism. And we are seeing a bunch of uh, corporate overlords in this country, hedge fund operators, private equity and the like, who really they're in it for the dollar. They don't necessarily have any morals and they're making people long for socialism. And it's disruptive, and they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. Uh, when you have corporations that don't really treat their employees well, because their employees are a, a bottom line number, they're not an individual. Uh, it. it makes people resent the corporations, which ultimately makes people resent capitalism, which makes people long for something else. We're seeing that happen in this country right now. Um, a, a capitalism ungrounded from any sort of morality or compassion for individuals, uh, a, a capitalism where you, the, the the biggest prof, maximal will profit, even at the expense of the care and well-being of the employees, is is what Wall Street rewards. We're all going to be worse off because of it. You know, one of the companies out there that is in the capitalist system, loves the free market, but actually treats its employees well and its customers well because they're grounded in their values is Patriot Mobile. Uh, they are a Christian conservative outfit, and they operate that way. They fund their the conservative movement that way. They share your values and they want you as a customer. And you can be one by going to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. They'll even give you uh, a free activation by using my name. Now you can call them as well. They're 100% U.S.-based customer service. You can call 972-PATRIOT, tell them I sent you. You get that free activation. They give a portion of their profits to the conservative movement, the pro-life cause, Second Amendment, veterans, first responders. They give you great discounts if you're a veteran, a first- a teacher, an NRA member, so many good discounts, such good people. They share your values, and they want to advance our cause in this country. You should do business with them, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Phone number of the program, 877-973-7425. Raphael Warnock, he is the Democratic senator from Georgia. He wants his child custody fight sealed um, the Democrats and the media are beginning their attacks on Herschel Walker and all of his problems, uh, which are long documented by Herschel Walker himself. He for years struggled with mental health, wrote a book about it. I, I think the Democrats are going to be ruthless in ways that I'm concerned about Walker's ability to win, but he does in fairness, lead Warnock at all the polling. And now there is more baggage out there. Uh, Warnock's ex-wife. Uh, is, uh, has, is made allegations about his child support and, uh, she, he refused to pay child care costs. She was forced to shoulder. He's, uh, failed to show up for custody days. She said he routinely neglects to give her notice when he's traveling out of town during his visitation days. And instead has the kids picked up from school by friends and leaves them with various babysitters overnight. Uh, And now they want to seal everything so the GOP can't use it against him and show people who he really is uh, while he shows that he loves puppies. He apparently loves puppies more than his family, perhaps. That's the allegation. Well, the GOP is going to exploit this if they can, and he doesn't want them to. He wants this divorce record sealed.